Madden Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week, Prometheus. In the year 2021, billionaires love sending themselves to space, and they're still at it in the year 2093. And beyond. Apparently so. You could even order, because uh, we're recording this right as uh, Richard Branson and the, and the man you want to punch in the face just made their flights. And I mean, I wouldn't mind punching Richard Branson in the face too. He's just not on the top of my list. <laughs> <laughs> I've met yeah. Richard Branson and he bought me a bottle of champagne, so I wouldn't okay. punch him. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you don't punch a man who gives you champagne. No, no, I mean, he but kind of Jeff Bezos out. is morally correct to punch in the face. Uh, that it's it's law. It's space law. You have to. Yeah. <laughs> space law. Yes. Well, my original plan was let's just put a shield up so we can't come back down. But yeah. Yeah. I, so, I, did you think he signed off on the design, the, the actual space penis that he's flying up there with an 80-year-old, a relative, and an 18-year-old? Um, that's not on the level. I don't know what's going on. I know he's newly single, but uh, <laughs> this is not an appropriate behavior, even for a billionaire tyrant. <laughs> I mean, I hate to do the Matt thing of trying to verbally share a meme, but one of my friends yesterday sent me the picture of his little crew and he just put the caption like low budget, fantastic four remake to keep the rights. <laughs> yeah. It's there's then, something creepy going on. It's like, I don't know, little St. James in space. Something isn't right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, little space James. That's what I, let's reverse it. I'll say little space James. That's what I want. <laughs> okay. So usually, um, we we talk we say who we are and bring in a guest, but we're, we're kind of swap casting today. So we'll we'll do a um, I guess a three for where I'm Matt and you're I'm Luke. And we got Gordon. You go ahead. You're you're in on this today. Sure. Oh yeah yeah. Uh, I'm Gordon. I am the uh, host of Rune Soup um, podcast and a chaos magician and now officially a shamanic energy medicine practitioner. And I am a huge fan of Prometheus. And I was going to say, we. I guess this is the uh, soup kitchen, the rune soup kitchen at the uh, Sci-Fi Sanctuary today. So nice. <laughs> as we uh, swap it and have a look at uh, Prometheus. And this is one, I mean, this one is kind of contentious with a lot of people. So I do want to talk about like maybe when we first saw it and how we got to it now. So um, Luke and I have had the the conversation a few times and we'll see where you are a little different but when i saw it you know there's a lot of build-up it's like oh a prop kind of we expected a proper alien prequel right so it was kind of weird they got the puzzle boxes and i i saw this in a theater probably once when it came out on blu-ray and i i always tell people there are things i absolutely love about this film there's actually there's things i absolutely hate about this film and there's nothing in between it's all love it or hate it for me now having watched it again with a few years um in the rear view mirror and, and 
knowing that I actually quite enjoyed it more than uh, last night uh, and getting through it again. That's nice. Uh, where, Luke, you were on the uh, the meh button before. So I've seen it once in the theater and then once again in preparation for this podcast. And my thing is just, I actually like this film stripped of any context. But when I remind myself it's meant to be a prequel to Alien, that's when I hate it. Then I enjoy watching this film. I think it's a good film. I think even without how it's achieved, I think the idea of a prequel to Alien is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I have mixed feelings. Yeah, um, the thing about all fandoms is they're disgusting, right? Um, and <laughs> and the Alien fandom, such as it is, most people like Aliens. So you have the option of, so let's say four incredible directors, three of them anyway, and then people seem to pick the James Cameron film as their favorite. Now that is just wrong. That is a, I went to film school, you fail. <laughs> you have failed the class. Correct. If you pick James Cameron over Sir Ridley or Fincher or whomever, right? Like it's just what it is. And I think that's the, it was too far from Every film that hasn't been Aliens, the fandom has wanted to be Aliens and they can go fuck themselves. <laughs> um, as for it needing to be a prequel for Alien, I think that's marketing talk. For a start, it is. Like, I know people were confused when it came out, like, how does this fit into Alien? And I'm like, really? Um, but, but it's a good place to start because um, I think my soul for that is pretty good. Um, People like, because they're the same shape of the ship. It's like, but it's not the same planet they went to in the first one. I was like, no, it's not. But the whole, this was a weapons facility. And they mentioned repeatedly that there are multiple weapons ships that are still there. So there's another planet somewhere where that thing crashed, uh, which they found in the first one, right? Like all the pieces were there. You see them in the suit and so on. And it's why the xenomorphs look different because they actually have a different genetic uh, component. So it's another crashed warship somewhere, right? And so it's a prequel in the sense that, and this is why I love it. It's a prequel in the sense that it is a prequel for the whole universe of Alien. So it's not a prequel for a movie. It, it and, and the creeping horror of the Alien universe is in that reality, is in the, oh shit. So we were actually built millions of years ago by the same beings that built the Xenomorphs. So you're in this kind of, well, the universe is like dark and hostile and kind of fucked up. Uh, and, and that's really cool. That's, that's like, that is a, a masterpiece, I think, in kind of like macro horror. So I don't mind it. I don't mind it. But I know what you mean. Like you can, and Ridley said this, like uh, so you can just watch it as a film. Yeah. The reason I don't like it as a prequel, um, for me, Alien, the original Alien, is the masterpiece of the series. Sure. And it's it's that Lovecraftian thing that it taps into where what is scary is that the alien is so alien. That's why the film is just called Alien. We went out into space, we found something we shouldn't have found, then it fucked us up. Um, but then Prometheus tries it like, oh, actually, these aliens are connected to humanity and it's all it's all one big experiment. And it's just, I think it it undercuts what the original Alien felt like it was about, which is about here is something completely unknown, unknowable that we shouldn't have touched. Whereas now it's like, oh, actually it's it's our brother, it's our stepbrother because we both have the I same dad. I guess that's the thing with the prequel. Um, Star Wars certainly does it where suddenly everyone in the universe is now related. Each and new Star Wars film <laughs> makes the universe smaller. Right, and that's where I'm thinking. This bigger, though. Like, I, I think that, I, I get what you mean, but I that's kind of like, 
no, not in a mean way um, necessarily. That's kind of basic horror. Um, like, you know, yeah, it's just five dollar horror is actually like, is. what if oh, it's like that? It's it's Twilight Zone. Like, oh, it turns out it's man. Like, it's the um, oh, we are also that horrible being because within one of the things I, as an anarchist, I like in Alien is which it retains in in Covenant as well, uh, but mostly in Prometheus, it retains that critique of corporatism, um, which I think is really important. Well, I started uh, the podcast saying you should punch Jeff Bezos in the face. So, <laughs> exactly. You know, I'm on board with that. <laughs> Again, it's the context. So this one, like when you take it from that ancient astronaut, you know, seeding concept, oh my God, this film's fantastic. I think I remember in the pre-production of this film, like Ridley Scott, like really trying not to have this be an alien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that's, the, that, that's the thing, right? So let me, let me explain why it's a masterpiece from an ancient alien's perspective. And then because it is, it's a macro statement and then we can go, through the film itself. Uh, Every scene and almost every line has a direct biblical corollary. Um, He basically rewrote the Bible as an alien story um, from from the very beginning. And the actual flyover shots in Iceland where it's it's literally moving upon the waters, like before you even get to the, um, the engineer who lands at the waterfall, um, it's it's like air moving on the water. So he literally opens it like the Bible. So the key to this is to understand that Sir Ridley, and if you've seen his Exodus, which I watched uh, a couple of months ago, or rewatched, obviously, but rewatched a couple of months ago because in Q1 we did an Angel Magic as a course. Uh, and if you watch that, he kind of does Prometheus in reverse, where uh, when Moses is talking to the angel of the Lord, it's this creepy boy that no one else can see. And there's an, and it's not like it's an alien boy or anything, but that's eerie. So he's basically saying the same thing, like what being is fucking with Moses here? Um, and and there's it's Sir Ridley is I will bet money on this an ancient aliens like proponent theorist whatever you want. Like I think and I have some stuff I can't really talk about. I kind of know that this is true, but I can't really talk about it. Um, He isn't necessarily an ancient alien cult, but his religious beliefs include the belief that much of the Bible describes um, human contact with extraterrestrials off planet or, or whatever. So he's kind of at that level. And when you realize that a whole bunch of Prometheus um, from the names to, I mean, they fucking arrive on Christmas Day. Um, like the whole thing is is a map to um, biblical references to do with things like creation and initiation and birth and so on. So that, like, and he's kept mostly shtum about this since it came out, which shows tremendous resolve, <laughs> if you ask me, because he's just, he's literally done the film that will allow you, and it doesn't, you don't even have to believe this, it will allow you, as in that you don't need to believe in ancient aliens, whatever that means, which we might get to. But it's it's a perfect step into this world because what this what the world of ancient aliens is is that belief. It is the belief that in our sacred texts here on planet Earth are potentially misremembered, although problematic term, uh, tales of encounters with beings that may have had 
more than a little hand in our creation. So that's why I think, well, I, I got to the end of the film first time I watched it and I'm like, well, I, I think it's perfect. I think, <laughs> I think, it's, a, I think it's a perfect film. And it, it, it doesn't even, it's not even kind of, it's not even like when um, they let John Travolta make those horrible Scientology films. It's not even like he's, Ridley's trying to induct you or indoctrinate you into a cult. He's actually just exploring this cosmovision. And I think that, I think that's why it's my favorite. Uh, just to clarify my thing earlier, I'm not opposed to the idea of this ancient alien film. I really like this film for that. I just, I like Alien for a different reason and I oh, wish totally. he didn't try and tie them together. So I actually like Alien 3 the best uh, in terms of like standalone cinematic films because- Cow it, or dog? Pardon? Cow or dog? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think that, so Finch is really good at um, like a hothouse compressed story. Like it's, it's a different, mm. like you're trapped on the ship in the first one. Um, the, the trapped dudeness that is in Alien 3 is different. And I, I kind of really resonate with it, but for the same reason that the original films, but I like Alien versus Predator. Like I actually like all the films, uh, but I think Alien 3 is my favorite of the kind of like original trilogy. But for the reasons that you mentioned in, in the first one, which is it is a classic tale. Uh, it's just a classic horror. It's a monster story, right? Mm. And And it's a monster you can't get away from. And I like how in Alien 3 they play with that by making it um, carceral as well. I think there's a, um, but like to your point, absolutely. Um, you can be with this, it, this is a mythos that you don't have to absorb all of, right? Like, so you well, can I think, be with one film. Uh, Ridley Scott said like, he doesn't think of them as a connected universe. He just yeah. wants to make individual films. Yeah. Mad Max style, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is a little bit off topic, but um, I don't think this would make Alien 3 a better movie, but I did hear in the pre-production, there was an idea that that whole penal colony was actually going to be made out of wood, like like a kind of a monastic retreat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Colony. I was like, yeah, that's yeah, a cool idea. I don't know if that would have been actually been good on film, but the idea was- Probably good. not, but like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, my, my problem with Alien 3 is the same as my problem with Prometheus. I really like it as a film, I wish it didn't start with just killing off all the cast of aliens. <laughs> oh no, that's probably my favorite thing about it. <laughs> just start a new man, yeah. burn it clean, start a new. But um, yeah. I think I am more of a James Cameron guy than you are. Okay, yeah, well that's <laughs> absolutely. That's the, uh, the Terminator tattoo there. <laughs> <laughs> um, if y'all will indulge me, and maybe some people in haven't actually watched this for a while, so I'm going to try and just get through this plot summary as quick as I can, where I um, skipped over things, but then, like, well, I said to Luke, um, he's like, no, it's just a lot of subplots. It's not that the plot's so hard. And I guess Luke's going to take a whiz or something while I'm doing that. <laughs> so here we go.
distant past, an alien engineer lands on Earth, drinks a strange liquid, and dissolves into the waters, his DNA merging with the earthly elements. Jumping ahead to 2093, the Whaling Corporation vessel Prometheus is approaching a distant planet. A few years prior, Dr. Elizabeth Shaw and Charlie Holloway had discovered multiple ancient cave paintings that pointed to the star system, perhaps the source of our creation. They are part of the crew, along with 15 other humans, including corporate liaison Meredith Vicker, who insists that no contact be made without her say-so. Also on point is the creepiest hell synthetic being, David. They land on the moon, and away team immediately heads for a massive pyramid. And they find some heads, some massive, and some unattached from their bodies, along with breathable air. David, meanwhile, discovers a strange liquid that he later roofies Dr. Holloway with. Two crew members tried to leave early, got lost, and then are eaten by a space vagina. A second survey mission goes well for David, who discovers an ancient control room complete with a cryogenically frozen engineer. It doesn't go so well for the rest of the crew as Holloway ends up immolated by a strict for quarantine Vickers, while Shaw, impregnated by the infected Holloway during sexy time, has to get a truly harrowing alien abortion. David and Vickers, meanwhile, awaken the extremely elderly Wayland himself, who had secretly been cryogenically frozen on the Prometheus. He came to meet his maker. And so he does on a third journey to the pyramid, literally and figuratively. Seems the now awakened engineer is launching his ship in, uh, hidden beneath the pyramid and is ready to take off for Earth to take out humanity. Prometheus sacrifices itself by ramming the engineer's vessel while lone survivor Shaw, along with David, who knows how to fly alien tech, commandeer another alien vessel and set off for the engineer's homeworld to ask, what the hell? I tried to keep it as short as I could. There's no Idris Elba in there. I didn't even mention the, uh, didn't even mention the, the alien itself, right? The, the proto alien, but mm. there, there's a lot to get through in that one. So. No, absolutely. <laughs> Until I sat down to watch it last night, I'd forgotten Idris Elba was in this film and I love Idris Elba. So <laughs> that was a nice surprise. Perfection. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I'm a married man, but I do have a movie star crush on Michael Fassbender. There, I exactly. Said it. Well, that, everyone, <laughs> everyone does because whenever you see me in a film, well, it's kind of like what happens with you and McGregor. You go, I've seen your penis. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter how creepy an alien is, like seeing your penis. Sorry, Michael. <laughs> Recently, Michael Fassbender is starting to be like, I've forgotten his name again, but one of those actors who it feels like he's put into a film to like add a touch of class. Oh yeah. But all the film, all the films he's doing at the moment are like classless big budget Hollywood films. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So he somehow kept this reputation as like a real artist, but all he does is like X-Men and alien movies and crap thrillers about snowmen. He's so, so cool in them. <laughs> somehow he's still pulling it off. Although the hairstyle was a mistake, he should have watched a different movie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, um, I mean, if we start from the beginning, the I knew I was going to be in for a treat when the, alien, the engineer showed up and on the top of the little 
container with the ayahuasca analog because it's this black goo, right? So it's clearly meant to reference ayahuasca. The um, the script on the top is like Akkadian or Sumerian or something. So you can kind of see that this is what I mean. As soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, this is quite Sitchin-esque in its, dare I say, clunkiness, like hit you over the head with like a literal space alien, ancient aliens cosmology. So those two bits were kind of, it was a really fun way of doing it. And um, boy, am I sick of, I, I wonder how the people of Iceland feel about everyone thinking that like their country is alien. Like, cause there isn't a single space show that doesn't shoot <laughs> there. All right. It's sort of like um, amazing how many desert planets there are in the Star Wars universe. But so I really liked, I thought that was a fantastic, um, I thought it was a fantastic intro. And you, there's a couple of bits. I mean, do we want to move to, how do we want to do this? Do we want to go through? Um, I guess let, let's keep it slightly light if, if we want to hit any of the other actors and then we'll dive in deeper. I actually have a very dumb aside I want to make. So recently, I've become obsessed with the Japanese Pepsi Man commercials mm -hmm. um, from like the 90s, where it's just the weird CGI shiny man with the bald head who screams and makes Pepsi appear. And so when the film starts with a big shiny bald CGI man drinking a black liquid <laughs> and all he ever does is make open his mouth and make weird noises, he doesn't really talk. I couldn't help but think all the way through the film that the engineers were Pepsi Man. Interesting. <laughs> I found them weirdly <laughs> erotic. I found that I sort of went with like a Tom of Finland angle. Like, oh, see, I found them weirdly sexless. Yeah. They seem like celibate monks to me because they're, they're super okay. buff, but they're always very composed. They have the small little pants. Or they, yeah, they, they go around. Like, but like, I don't know. I, 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 there's there's an eroticism to that, I guess. Oh, one thing I should mention, which so we don't skip by it. This is course related. The the scene in uh, where Elizabeth finds the um, cave painting is on the Isle of Skye, which I've been to and is amazing and where my favorite mass market whiskey comes from and is fairy riddled, right? Like the the spirit world is, is completely fairy there. So one, it's really picturesque and looks good for the film, but it's one of those locations that I think when you look at his, his deliberate use of dates, I think he picked deliberately. So there's some kind of cool stuff in the Western British Isles that goes back about 30,000 years, Cheddar Man and so on. But I think that Isle of Skye is always one of those liminal between places anyway. So to find that that cave painting of an engineer pointing at the star system. And actually the, the use of the star system as the visual motif across the different cultures is quite sophisticated uh, because that's kind of true. It, some of the things that the kind of shit end of ancient aliens gets wrong. The, the David Icke end, shall we say, um, has to have everything connect sequentially. So it's like, because you find a serpent god in a cave 35,000 years ago, those people colonized like Egypt and, and South America and whatever. And it's not how you do it. Um, mm. Because they the images that they show when they're on the spaceship and, and Holloway and Shaw are giving their talk about their thesis that's the right way of doing it to say, look, the, the, the overlap is in the um, star configuration across time and cultures that didn't know anything about each other. So how could they do it? That's the correct way of getting into something like star law because it means it's true. So there are cultures around the world who've had no contact that arrive at the same understanding of star nations. 
and you can only come to the conclusion that there is something to that. I mean, in the film, it's like literal space aliens, right? But um, in in kind of the reality of ancient aliens, and if you're listening to this rather than watching it, I am dropping speech marks everywhere, air quotes everywhere <laughs> over what I just said, um, is that humans are always in relation to the stars. So I think that's what I thought was so beautiful about even though it's a horror movie, that's still kind of in there. And that's that sort of, we are actually star beings as well. And we're in a community of star beings. And I think that using the motif was really, uh, I that was a, a good choice, I think, filmically or cinematically. Something actually hit me about the star map and uh, I mean, they had they had six in, uh, I guess that was the system of the stars. And I was sort of thinking seven sages, seven, but um, yeah. I wonder if, if six also carries uh, some, you know, numerological uh, notation. I was expecting it to look, I was expecting it to be the Pleiades or something. So I was expecting it to be the Seven Sisters one way or the other, and it isn't. And that's cool. Like it, it, is, a, it is fiction, right? Uh, and I think- I think they deliberately made it something that you couldn't have seen correct. from Earth at correct. that time. So it correct. couldn't just be a normal- and that's a um, that's a Robert Temple serious mystery thing, right? So that the um, the Dogon really did have an astronomical understanding of the serious system before we had the telescopes to to realize that they were accurate, mm. um, and and that he's clearly um, referencing that there. Uh, but I would have exactly it, like it's it's fiction, and you want it to the eeriness is like, well, how could they know it times two, which is we can't even see it now except with our fancy telescopes. So I thought that was a really I don't, I cannot think of another film that treats my understanding, and I don't mean the, um, the naked monk drinking ayahuasca, um, but that treats my understanding of how um, ancient human cultures have been in relation to the stars as well as, as this film. Like it actually does a really good job of, of tabling, uh, I think an important metaphysical position. I just wanted to give a brief plug. We did an episode a few months back with David Matheson about Noah. Mm -hmm. And he was trying to, he was teaching us all about how different star systems create similar legends around the world. Yeah, totally. So that's, that's my entire entry level knowledge of this yeah. concept comes from that <laughs> podcast, but yeah. I feel like yeah. he gave us slightly deeper an entry level. <laughs> yeah, but maybe I zoned out partly. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't warn me that I was going to class that day. <laughs> At least today's called a webinar, so we'll work out yeah. what happens. <laughs> um, there's so a, yeah, so unless there's something in between when they get to the planet, one of the other things that Ridley does that makes you realize that this is very explicitly an exploration of Christianity is they, um, so they land on Christmas Day, but they actually arrive midsummer. Um, so David has his, you know, doing his hair and, and whatever on December 22. So the story is, is Yuletide, it is Christmastide. Uh, and that's the kind of old timey correct way of understanding the Christmas story. It's not this one day where a kid is born in a barn. It's actually, there's like a whole important mythology around it, much of which is much older than Christianity. And you kind of know that it's sort of like a, a full sort of ritual year because the um, the recording of Wayland is June 22. So it's exactly six. So it's mid for the Northern hemisphere, it's midsummer to midwinter, um, but it's so it's June 22, December 22. And, and why that's important is that that's St. John's tide. 
Um, so you have the story happening in and around Christmas, and it is the story of like creation and 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 the creator and and it creating us. Um, and the the whole everything, the one thing people know about St. John, headlessness, right? And the headless motif is everywhere in the film, including the giant fucking head. But also when um, Elizabeth and David leave, he's a head. Um, that they are, and they have the alien, well, the engineer head and the engineer mask. The, the motif of headlessness is there the whole time. And that's one of, when I looked at it, I'm like, this is an astro-gnostic um, exploration because there are certain esoteric Gnostic sects that believe um, John the Baptist is the true Messiah because he was the one who actually brought the creator into a physical form. When he baptized Jesus in the, in the water, that's when Jesus kind of like becomes Jesus. So he's actually the one that brought in this esoteric um, conception of it. He's actually the one who is the Messiah uh, because the Messiah is the anointed one and, and whatever. Right. So here we have this idea of who is, it turns out God is the devil and, and they're kind of like classic, which is where we get to covenant, uh, that kind of classic astro-gnostic idea that maybe God is the bad guy. When you want to put that intention, you have to look in tension as an intention. You have to look at where that is intention. So you have to look at like, well, how does someone become Jesus? Who's the other option? And it's this sort of St. John angle. So um, I, there's all these bits I watched that no one, literally no one else has <laughs> said this, but me, and I don't know, maybe I should be friends with Sir Ridley because he might be either like, get off my lawn, you psychopath, or thank you. Uh, because I can't imagine they're not, uh, they're not deliberate. And something Brandon said in the chat, which I referenced earlier when I said, even the choice of names is biblical. David, the house of David, which is where the anointed one, where the Messiah comes from. So David explicitly is named um, as like, David is deliberately named, right? Um, especially when you know what happens in covenant. But from when they arrive, you know that this is going to be a Christmas, like a, a creation tale. And Idris is there with his Christmas tree just to make it a little bit more obvious. Um, but I thought that like people, I, I think, again, I just think it's a really good film. <laughs> I think they did that really well. well I, yeah, I was actually um, at the gym this morning. I thought, oh, I'll watch a couple of YouTube videos on Prometheus. And while I was watching, it was like, well, the film is really plunkily written. Like, why does it take place at Christmas? There's no need for it to take oh. place at Christmas. Would the film be different if it took place somewhere? <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking, hey, the bomb line should be like uh, the new Christmas double feature, I guess, is what Die Hard and Prometheus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> Yeah, the whole um, family. <laughs> but it is clunky because it's it's it is deliberately referencing actual text. Like Elizabeth at the very end, it says, "In the year of our Lord, twenty ninety three." Just if you haven't got by the you're two hours in at that point, and if you haven't worked out that um, Sir Ridley is is playing deeply with um, biblical motifs in an ancient alien context. There she is going off to meet the creator in the year of our Lord, whatever it was, 2094 or whatever it was by then. So she literally says, like, no one says in the year of our Lord anymore. And yes, there's the whole, which is the point. There's her whole not super well realized um, character arc of kind of like Scully of like recovering her Christianity, which there's the throwbacks to her and her dad in missionaries in India and so on. But that, that I think that bit works quite well because that's where it instills in her this kind of quest for our origins. 
Um, I don't think it lands, like it's not a perfect film. Um, I don't think it lands exactly, but the story is she, the story is her coming back to a kind of Christianity and you have to do that in the year of our Lord. Like she is determined at this point. She's become some kind of Christian, um, some kind of space Christian, I guess, uh, again. But that's what I mean. Like the whole thing, there's like, again, the headlessness is the most important through line because headlessness is associated with the consequences of um, of that sort of initiation. So I think it's amazing, but yeah. Um, Luke and I teach English in Japan here and I'm just thinking we're in a good position to repopularize the uh, in the year of our Lord thing. There you go. Oh, that's, that's, how, that's how we all say it. That's, that's natural, man. <laughs> exactly. all, the, all the Tumblr kids do use it a lot, but <laughs> yeah. All the Tumblr kids will be like, oh, are you really going to da-da-da in the year of our Lord 2021? That's so, true. That's true. It is kind yeah. of new now, isn't it? Yeah. Same yeah. yeah. But yeah, I think I agree with you that the film is very well done on a macro level. I think Sir Ridley's vision is excellent. My issues are all at the, the smaller level. Sure. With the actual like scene writing and stuff. Like the fact that the guy who's there to map the ship is the one who gets lost. And the biology expert is the one who goes and pokes an alien snake and stuff like this. <laughs> yeah, they're the I'm glad they died early because they're the sort of characters from aliens. They're the sort mm-hmm. of fake characters, which everyone in aliens was. Um they're the kind it of like is, it is one character trait so that you can get attached to them before they die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the and the geologist had none. <laughs> I'm angry and British. Well, he, has, he, had, he had face tattoos. That was his character. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I was glad when they died. I'm like, God, I hope this fun thing about horror films is like, ah, I hope you die first. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> oh, and the horror thing, uh, what um Dr. Shaw does it and, and survives. That's that's against horror movie tropes. True. Yeah. In a horror movie, you don't it's make true. it through. Although she does get one of the most harrowing scenes in any film ever, but <laughs> oh look, a really well done scene, very well done. But wow, that's perfect. That's so. In the chat, they're talking about space vaginas, which is a real um... Prometheus topic. <laughs> Alien in general, because yeah, that's, yeah, the, yeah. that's the like HR Giga stuff. I'm really glad they had that in there because. Like, however much seriously says it, don't think of it like an alien film. No, it still is. And there's that kind of cosmic horror around birth um, and and that almost Freudian fear of the downstairs um, that's in all of Giga's stuff. But is oh, it, and it's explicit it's in also it, very it's about like well. the grossness of birth, right? Like they 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 burst out of you. Um, so I I really like that they had that in there because that um, that plays with that. Freudian terror, um, which I think is what activates and triggers people very often about the alien stuff, is it is um, it, it that's yeah, the scene that totally sticks with and, you and how you feel about them. <laughs> well, and it, it does an interesting version on the virgin birth thing, where she's not a virgin, but they establish that she she can't have children and yeah. then gets pregnant with the alien. Although they do do it in a really horrible and clunky bit of dialogue. So that's he like, mentions creating that, life. That is in the Old like, Testament. I can't create life. <laughs> like you said, it's all, it's all based on scripture, right? Which, yeah. Let's, uh, so that's not I'll, Mary, but that is in the Old Testament, right? And actually, yeah. uh, there's a there's a clue in the name there too, but we'll see if any, any Bible nerd uh, in the chat. The Bible is also somewhat clunkily written when you get right down to it, especially right, it's been retranslated. When you're times. watching a film, it's still that, that bit of dialogue is just like, 
Ugh. Like a woman can't be happy if she's not capable of giving birth to yeah, yeah, children. Yeah. Sort of shit. Yeah. It was yeah, I didn't like that scene, but it made sense. It makes sense again in the macro context. It's great. I wish better writers had written the dialogue. There's probably bits that could have been touched up for sure. Um, but like oh, other motifs. Just speaking of them, like, and I think. And I don't know, maybe I'm just projecting this and I'm happy with that to be the case in the sense that this is how I sit with the film. Um, the biblical motifs don't necessarily have to be coherent. And, and that's literally my understanding of how things like myth and symbol work. That the, mm. the myths and the symbols and the rituals are themselves the, like the thing itself, if you will. Uh, and so like when Waylon wakes up, and um, Charlie Theron's washing his feet. Like, so the, the bathing of the feet. Wayland isn't quite Jesus in this. Do you know what I mean? And, mm. uh, and, and so there are these motifs of infertile uh, women having miracle space births. Um, there are the washing of the feet. There's the headlessness. It's like, it's like a spell. So it's actually like the, it's what happens when you put all these components together and it kind of generates something. And so I like, Every time I think, oh, have, have I have I covered up all the motifs? I'm like, no. <laughs> There's also um, the washing of the feet, for instance. Uh, but I, I just, I, yeah, go on. I've been vaguely keeping an eye on the chat, and they've just been mentioning who was giving birth to who and who had what name. Uh, apparently, so it was Sarah John's yep. mother who gave birth, and I've just realised that's who Sarah and John are named after in Terminator. So <laughs> really, oh, that makes sense. So yeah, Cam, I guess Cameron does think John was the real Messiah. Yeah. <laughs> um, really? I, I guess and one, Schwarzenegger is the Jesus, I guess. He's your Jesus. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> you know, one thing, it's almost like I hope you would like, you would show up on Sir Ridley Scott's lawn and say, get off the lawn, my psychopath, when you say it, because sometimes it's interesting how art does pick up these connotations, um, you know, without the creator of that art even intending anything. Um, just as a, another example, uh, I Am the Walrus, the Beatles song, you know, people have figured out ways to put the Boer War on that as a, as a metaphor, but his quote after writing it was basically just like, let's see what the fuckers make of this song. <laughs> <laughs> they got yeah, the Boer I, War out somehow. <laughs> I'm not a particularly religious person, but if I create art, having grown up in the West for 30 years, I can't not include Christian motifs and Christian because it's the language I speak. No, exactly. And um, what I like about that, and I think it's kind of there in the film, is that, um, and we have in in the world of magic, this comes up for new, everyone coming into magic if they're not born in it. That's a weird Bane reference. I don't know. Um, has to grapple with like where they're at with Christianity because one way or the other. You either, and very often for Americans, they are raised in some kind of like gross mega church and they're like, fuck this, I'm gone. And that's cool. That's definitely the right decision. Um, but for people who need to kind of make their ancestral religion come back to life, one of the ways to do it is to remember that actually most of the stuff that's in it is Sumerian. Like, so by way of Sumer, Babylon, um, Judaism, and then into, so like the creator God in the Bible is basically the Sumerian like L, right? Like, so you, your grandmother goes to church to worship a Babylonian star God. That's kind of metal. Like that's pretty good. Um, and I think that Prometheus can, if you're aware that what Sir Ridley's doing is, is putting these um, mythic motifs in kind of like a dialogue or context that's in space, 
it's sort of a good way. It's a good way of getting there. It doesn't, you don't come out of it. This is what I mean. Like he doesn't convert you to some kind of space religion, but he just lets you sit with the idea that there's probably like a deep and ancient and weird, ultimately significance to um, a lot of these stories as they, they have to be when it's stories of our beginnings. Right. So, yeah. <clears throat> Schwarzenegger even died for our sins. <laughs> thumbs up thumbs up if, if you're listening there metaphors or the writing may be a little clunky the metaphors are always fascinating if maybe a touch clunky but um just a, a quick shout out that this is for design this has to be one of the best sci-fi i ever. think it's just, just everything. beautiful it's perfectly cast except for was well, not really i actually don't know the actor who played the geologist's name i don't think it's his fault necessarily it's not an act i don't think it's him as an actor no. yeah yeah, yeah. I but like, feel like once he mellows out in some of his later scenes he's fine yeah, they were just like you said. They were doing the aliens thing at the start of. Here's a character. Here's his one yeah. thing. He's shouting and in your face. His thing is he's a loud dick. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, the way the ship looks, and uh, of course they, the the Giger stuffs there. It's almost like it's like I wish they could drop some of the alien stuff to keep the Giger design. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so they had the kind of um, the mural that would change and was just pure Giger yeah. when they they first like. Um, in that, again, it's sort of like a Sistine Chapel-ish sort of reference. Um, but I, it, yeah, there's, from a uh, sound, lighting, um, just set, mise-en-scene, actors, it's brilliant. It's so good. Like, there's Particularly, nothing... I think, all of the engineer stuff looks incredible. Yeah. Whereas the, the Earth technology, like, the ship is pretty cool, but it's not as... Nothing in that area was mind-blowing. It was the same sort of holograms, spaceships, trucks we've seen in a lot of stuff. Although, nice admittedly, we've seen it in stuff <laughs> ever since yeah. they basically created it for aliens. So yeah, exactly. can't yeah, yeah. But the, yeah, the stuff with the engineers and their designs and equipment was all really good stuff. Yeah. The, um, it, and the other thing I guess to remember is we're talking about this what I find in it, which is this kind of amazing ancient alien biblical stuff, which is why when you know that and you go back to Covenant, Covenant's still not a great film, but Covenant is like a space Lucifer story because there is the, um, there is the idea that it's really naff 19th century esoteric idea that actually Lucifer is the good guy kind of stuff. And it's, it doesn't really, it's not strong enough to hold the whole film together, but like the whole space Lucifer thing. Um, but like the reason I mentioned that is if you come back to Prometheus, it is a, it's a horror story, but it's a classic Gothic horror. Um, so there's the monster story in, um, there's a classic monster story in the first one, but in this, it is the, it's, it's basically Frankenstein. Um, like it's, we should not have made this. Like this, mm. is, this, is an, this is an affront to nature. And that's kind of there in Wayland's story as well. Like wanting to meet your maker and, 
going, oh, this is shit. <laughs> um, but the, it's basically Frankenstein at the same time, which again is one of my favorite, if, no, it is my favorite like Gothic novel. Um, Cause I, I think it's basically a documentary of how we live in the world and it's not good. <laughs> when I first saw this movie, I think the thing coming out of the theater really had me somewhat pissed off. And at, at that point in time, I hadn't really gotten into all the uh, esoteric knowledge and stuff I have since then, but it did piss me off there. It was like, why did the engineers want to go back and destroy humanity? They didn't explain that at all. And I know the whole point of the end of the movie is to go check it out and having, you know, a lot more, having read a lot more books since then now it's fascinating but i remember coming as a you know popcorn eating dude coming out in 2012 that really did bug me the first time i saw so why it. do you think because i don't i don't know if i have uh, a fully satisfactory answer why do you i haven't i think after covenant my guess is um why did they make us in the first place which is a question that's actually in the film uh what if it's all terraforming, right? So when um, David releases the bioweapon back on the planet of the engineers in Covenant and they get there and they're like, there's just plant life. There's no, there's not even insects. Like there isn't a single vertebrate of any kind on this planet. Cause obviously they've been destroyed by the, um, by the bioweapon xenomorph thing. And I'm like, maybe that's why. Um, I, maybe maybe the, the engineer's way of terraforming um, unless they're just dicks, like unless God is evil. Um, and, and again, when you're dealing with aliens, you and this is literally true, like um, one of the other films are getting everyone to watch is Sphere and, and Dustin Hoffman's character in that at the beginning. It's like I got paid five grand to write like a, a, a paper about what happens when we encounter aliens. So I just took it. But again, we don't know what the morality of, of off-planet beings would be. So it could just be that. But I I don't know if that's necessarily a loose end as much as it is an invitation for you to speculate what happens. And one of my speculations is maybe it was terraforming. Maybe that's how they terraform planets. But what do you think? Uh, so I don't necessarily have my own theory, but I've heard that in an earlier draft of the film, they literally had an engineer who was Jesus. And it was the fact that we killed Jesus made them think, no, there's no hope for these humans. We're going to go back and kill them. Oh, that's so great. I'm so glad they didn't go down that angle. Yeah, it's, it's way too on the nose and a bit crap. Uh, that's like the abyss. So sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that's a same thing, like moralizing good aliens telling us how bad we are. Uh, <laughs> that's the whole point. Now the ambiguity makes this film artistic and interesting, where, you know, maybe nine years ago, I was just still too left brain thinking on the whole thing. Or is it right brain? Left brain, left brain thinking on the whole thing. I was like, I mean, I. Damon Lindoff, if I said his name right, he did Lost and he did this. We'd all just gotten, you know, pissed off. Not pissed off, but Lost had a few I get what you mean. that they yeah. didn't quite wrap up. And he's, oh, he's doing it again. So, <laughs> all right, yeah, yeah. So now I'm like willing to allow for that more than I was when I first saw no, it as I well. I mean, it's... So the, the Lost Angle's useful, I think, because actually this, I think this does wrap up and is coherent, but it, what you what's what a writer like that tries to do is invite you into speculating. Otherwise, what's the point of creating art? Like it actually invites you into thinking. And I think it succeeds in that. But it must be said that there are potentially better genres or potentially better like vehicles because people were expecting a space horror uh, and, and they get this, they get cosmic horror but they get sent to like Sunday school on the moon and I'm into that. <laughs> but I think if, 
it I could see I, I understand like people coming out going, what the fuck did I just watch? Because you want again, most people want aliens, like the second film. So um, but I don't know I, I, why they were coming back. Uh, I don't necessarily know if that's a loose end. I think you just, it's almost biblical. It's its Old Testament biblical in the sense of fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and God's ways are mysterious and, and so on. So it actually is kind of like a, you actually puny human don't know why. Um, so that could be one of them, but I, I don't know. After Covenant, I'm like, well, Maybe maybe that's how they terraform. So they they send someone down, give them some ayahuasca, come back a couple of million years later. Who knows? <laughs> so I'm I am a big fan of cosmic horror. So I like that the one thing the film just doesn't give us any clues about is the aliens' motivation. I don't mm. think we're meant to know that. Agreed. So I'm I'm okay with that being the Agreed. one thing they don't give us. Any now I am. For. I just I wasn't back. Then. Yeah, because yeah. like. Other- it makes the universe really hostile. Like, and that is actually the alien universe. Like in the darkness of space, no one can hear you scream, right? Like, um, and it just put it, which I like, cause I think in deep time terms, it put that horror of um, space that you have in the alien series on an enormous timeline. So it, that's what I mean mm. in the beginning. Like it just, it, it gave it a cosmic timeline, like shit. It's, <laughs> it's been horrible out there since the beginning. Like, um, that creeping horror of Lovecraftian horror, right? Of like the universe mm-hmm. is is ancient and truly doesn't like can't even notice you. That's how little it cares about mankind. And there's which I don't think is true on a spiritual level um, personally, but I think it's great cinema and it, and it's a great thing to think about. Now I was planning on giving <clears throat> the movie a, a swift kick in the crotch for the um, sort of infamous why can't Vickers run left or right thing as the space yeah, is right. falling down here. But but watching it last night, I actually made a note because I noticed Shaw is also unable to turn left and right until she stumbles a little, takes just a split second to assess the situation and rolls out of the way. Yeah. So I, I did find it interesting. Now I'm like, actually, that is an interesting choice that had that little stumble actually saved her. <laughs> well, yeah, that's... Yeah. It's very close behind, so I can imagine being in that situation and thinking, if I do anything other than run forwards, it's going to get me. Yeah. So I think in when you sit and you're the nerd and you think about, oh, I would have just run left. Sure. But yeah. it works yeah. in the moment. Sure you would, film, Tubby. Right? You would have been on that trip. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, that, that's almost a Buddhist idea, though. The fact that Shaw stumbles allows her to quickly reassess and, and you know, take proper action <laughs> well, well maybe, not maybe that was the divine intervention that <clears throat> finally restored her christianity right like i don't know um that would be a character decision for um numi but uh, like maybe because it's one of the that's a there's a christianity or, or or a um a religiosity in that where it's like your fate is ultimately up to god that's a kind of tolkien-esque thing right do your best but it's ultimately up to god um Maybe that's why. But yeah, they're, they're... where the word Nintendo comes from. <laughs> really? Um, yeah, it's from an old Japanese saying that's like, heaven blesses hard work. Fair you enough. do your best and the rest <clears throat> works itself out. Weird that it's the name for like idle behavior then. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just in the business has been around since like 1898 yeah, playing true. cards. So it's just a, a good name for a shop because it means, you know, we're going to work hard and hopefully we'll sell our cards. Nice. Nice. Um, those are all my notes. Any other stuff about the like? Where else do we want to go from here? Um, I, I was thinking we'll quickly or sh- shortly open up the Q and A. But uh, 
First, I guess we'll just take a quick assessment of where this film sits today. So having watched it last night, yeah, I was like, wow, this is better and I remembered it. And uh, having the foreknowledge helps a lot. Uh, another film is um, oh, Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's a pretty good film if you know about Laurel Canyon, if you know about you know, the sure. Manson family and details. Mm -hmm. If you don't know about those things, it's like incomprehensible. So mm -hmm. this movie... Um, you know some of the ancient alien lore and then you've brought in all the biblical stuff which even last night kind of like mostly like didn't hit me so <laughs> now I'm like oh yeah of course yeah and, and you'll get it more in it but like that that's good cinema to me like the more you get on a rewatch and not in the kind of intricate detail of you get on a rewatch of Lord of the Rings or something um, but uh, a film that will give you something different um, each time or, or like you come out of it going, I missed a lot of that. I'm going to go and find out why. Usually because you start by complaining on the internet about it, go down a few rabbit holes, come back and watch it and go, hmm, all right. It's definitely that film. I, I delight in, same thing with Noah, right? Like people, especially coming back to like the soul, ancient aliens and the Bible kind of stuff. Um, if I've recommended it a couple of times over the, like when we do different courses in the membership. And I'm like, I know you all saw it and thought it was crap. And it, it is in many ways, not great, but in other ways, it's really good. Especially if you go in knowing stuff about like the watches and, and where the idea of angels and all that kind of stuff comes from. Um, it's actually an all right film. <laughs> and I think Prometheus is one of those. I think it's anything that maybe it's, we tend to get like triggered by something that is playing with the Bible because it smells too much like, religious education in school or something. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm always, you know, an ambitious, fascinating failure to me. And, and I'm not calling this a failure, but uh, an ambitious, fascinating failure is usually a lot more interesting than a pretty good pot boiler. Yeah, it's not a complete success. Like, and, and if it was a complete success, it would be more popular, right? Um, there aren't too many things that I think it fails on. Like you go, ooh, um, we've, there's some, you know, middling points we've mentioned. There are too many things I think it fails on. But yeah, as you say, an ambitious film is not going to be for everyone. It, it Like it can't be. Um, and that's just, that's the good ones. That's for film nerds. Like you want to hear your, your final <laughs> What a guy says in the chat, which I think Ridley Scott makes great bad cinema. And I think that's kind of true. I think that's a fair statement. Like um, Gladiator is great quite hammy in some places. Um, and it, I think this is his best film because it's bad, great cinema <laughs> rather than great, bad <laughs> cinema. Because otherwise that like um, Exodus, same thing, like mostly good. So the thing about, I, I learned this or learned this, I landed on this realization about Ridley in watching Exodus is that Gladiator is his Ben-Hur, obviously. Um, and Exodus is his take your pick, Charlton Heston, but like it's his. Well said. <laughs> yeah. But so what he's doing it's, is quite Tarantino-esque. He's doing a love letter to Hollywood, um, mm. like classic golden age Hollywood, because he's kind of doing his, his Ben-Hur and his Ten Commandments and, and whatever. And, and they're like, in the case of, well, Ben-Hur is better, but like it's, Exodus is better than Ten Commandments. <laughs> so, but it, that's something I didn't necessarily appreciate about Sir Ridley until I rewatched Exodus um, earlier this year. And it does shed light on him doing good, bad films. Like his Lawrence of Arabia, well, he did, he did, 
if you look at the kind of classic films, it's a wonder he hasn't done Cleopatra yet because he's done like a um, people riding around on horses in the desert. He's done a um, Exodus from Egypt. He's done like a slave in the Roman empire. Really like uh, there's Elizabeth Taylor's Cleopatra kind of like left in, <laughs> in, in that sort of canon. Maybe he will, maybe he'll get to it. But he just plug. I've just seen a, a comment in the chat saying, why haven't we mentioned 1985 legend? We did a podcast on legend. There you go. <laughs> I love Zelda, obviously. So. <laughs> and, and I think, yeah, and then you're, when we say in that podcast, who's going to listen to a podcast of legend? Hopefully you are. to um, throw some questions or commentary this way, I guess now. Oh, Luke here one question. from Ren. There we go. Is there uh, a motif? Favorite... You oh, go. I just thought I want to ask what his favorite Zelda is. <laughs> yeah, you do that. <laughs> um, Breath of the Wild, I think, is the best video game ever made. Um, but in terms of my heart choice, I would say Skyward Sword. There you go. There you go. Um... Uh, I'm not going to take my shirt off, but I've got a Skyward Sword tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm old school link to the past, but I haven't played every Zola. So <laughs> um, anyway, we got a we got a an actual QA. Let's see yep. what happens when Is there a motif about what happens to humans when they encounter things that are bigger than they are, which causes the characters to act irrationally when they're in the field of the alien planet? The geologist getting lost, the biologist wanting to touch the snake thing. Vic is acting focused and competent on the ship, but can't figure out to go left on the planet. Um interesting. I I think that's a horror trope. Um, rather I was going to say, a... I don't think it needs to be as grand as when you're on an alien planet. When you're scared, you do dumb shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, how the, that's the entire horror genre, right? That's how every horror film is written. Ren and uh, Stimpy toss us all about the space madness. I mean, you get that. And, and that is the thing. Like, if, if they do SpaceX or NASA or whoever, China gets people to Mars, they're going to have to be, like, heavily psychologically profiled because... Uh, if you've been cooped up, if you've been cryo for a while and now you're on the alien planet, the best of us are going to be like probably not thinking quite straight. Well, as Michael Bay taught us, when you go to blow up an asteroid, suddenly you go crazy and start shooting people with a machine gun. So. <laughs> now, well, I, I like horror is good at explaining that because, and, and I think, and thriller as well, but like one of the, and we've sort of witnessed it over the last 18 months, like when people are scared, they get dumb and, and, um, and can't think rationally. 
And as an audience member, you watch that. And I think that's one of the ways you get pulled in, right? It's like, go left, you stupid bitch. Um, <laughs> because you're invested in something that, because you're not actually in that same kind of like state of fear. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a really good point because especially in the alien universe, some of the like the kind of classic scream, I'll be right back line, like don't go in there. Don't go in that room. You know how ah, you went in the room. All right. Um, that kind of is great. <laughs> that makes for good cinema. And um, probably actually that might be a failing in Prometheus. Uh, like, or not a failing, but it is certainly a legitimate reason for um, comic book guy to complain that like, why would, um, why didn't she just run left? Why, um, why did the biologist touch the thing? It's like, yeah, fair enough. Like, why doesn't Ross, the largest friend, simply eat the others? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Captain Hindsight coming in to save the, the day, but a little too late. <laughs> Absolutely. Nice one. Uh, Landon's got one. Um, Kurt helped by telling me the name of the Nostromo logo. Apparently it's from Alien, but I noticed it, noticed it in Covenant and I wondered if there was anyone else in the theater that noticed it being a stylized Ahura Mazda. I didn't. Um, anybody have a take on that? I did not notice. It's, I'm going to have to Google both those things before I can give you I a take. I want to say it's mildly um, triangular. Uh, am I right or wrong on that? No, it's just know. a big wings thing. Uh, the, oh, the original Nostromo. Okay. Has, well, it's even wings. I mean, that gets into all the, uh, you know, crazy Sumerian stuff. Oh, I see what you mean. Nostromo. Uh, okay. I, I had to also Google Azura Mazda. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, it is, but also that's an extremely common image in any kind of military or air force or uniform. It's kind of flying sun disky. I like it. Um, I didn't necessarily notice, no. And I usually do notice them because I have the strangest fucking book somewhere around here, which is going to end up in the course, which I bought as a remainder called uh, something like, um, uh, if, if I tell you all my secrets, I have to kill you. It's something like that. But it's a collection of U.S. military patches from different groups and subgroups. Uh, and they all have like fucking aliens. They're all like um, special forces teams and and like whatever. And there's all these like aliens and shit. And I'm like, wow, okay. So I usually do pay attention. <laughs> I guess to... something we have to remember is, you know, a lot of the imagery is this is millennia old and it's not necessary if I choose it, it's like, I'm trying to make this certain point. Like I'm just sitting here thinking, I, I doodle on the board for students all the time. And, you know, uh, just as shorthand, I might put like a little ball with wings or something and I'm not making a statement there, right? It's just, uh, that's the shorthand for, you know, kind of spacey stuff sometimes. Yeah, totally. It's a sigil, yes. <laughs> it's a sigil that we all use now, right? <laughs> Which... <laughs> now, what have I got? Um, have I ranted about all the stuff? Yes, I mean, the other one, I've just got like my notes from the show and then at the bottom I've got Ridley's Exodus and I'm like, no, I mentioned it. That was good. <laughs> um, what were you saying I had to say about the, the ancient aliens? No, no, I was just saying that you have this weird habit of collecting guests who are into ancient aliens despite the fact that you've never seen ancient aliens. Oh, right, right, Actually, right. Actually, right. neither, neither have I. Um, <laughs> like, I think Matt I see does his... His other podcast, Oral Hygiene, he's had, is it like three guests now? Yeah. Who are actually on Ancient Aliens. I haven't seen the show, so I'm like, uh, no thanks. Um, I watched the first season back in the day. It's all right. 
I, I guess it's, you know, the Carl Sagan quote that the extraordinary claims need extraordinary evidence, right? So for me, it's like a 30-minute show is pro or an hour show, whatever it is, probably isn't going to do that. I want to I want to get into some books. Oh, I don't watch it to get educated. I watch it to creep myself out and think about aliens. <laughs> did, I mention, <laughs> yeah, did I mention last time I used, I'm ex-Discovery Channel, right? And so one of the things I learned at Discovery Channel is if you are um, a multi-channel broadcaster, discovery, history, whatever, uh, you have tiny audiences, it's, as certainly at the moment, like, you know, there's no one really watches cable at all. And if you hit on a format that works, it's called evergreen content or like all perennial content. So the reason there's so much like Discovery Channel is just sharks and Nazis because those shows don't date. Um, so you can do a show about the Nazis, you can do a show about sharks and you can just play them forever. And what they found at the time, Deadliest Catch was their runaway success. And the thing is that show can go forever because you will always find Alaskan hillbillies willing to like go and have a career on a boat. And every time they go out there, cause the waves are big, you're gonna get these really cool shots of like waves and whatever, right? So um, Ancient Aliens is that for History Channel. And it, it probably would have been good if season one stopped cause then it would have been like the classic um, magical Egypt from the early 90s. Like it could have just been like mm -hmm. a classic series of like, here's some funny shit, not funny, haha. -ha. Here's some weird shit in history, right? But the one I watched had like a 14th century Hindu temple going like, and how did they make this? And I'm like, well, the trouble with ancient aliens in general is that it's quite racist because no one ever goes to like France and, and looks at the Gothic cathedrals or Salisbury Cathedral in England and says, how did they make this? Well, it seems to be the brown people who can't make things and therefore aliens. And that was the one I watched it with some 14th century. It was amazing. I don't know where it is, but it's like kind of built into the sides of sides of like a sinkhole the whole way around. It's fucking cool. Um, I think like, how did they make this? And I'm like, I don't know. Ask them. Like it's, it's, it was the 14th century. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. Uh, what's going on here? So I haven't really ever watched the show. <laughs> but <laughs> That's I always watched... been my issue with your pyramids and um, Stonehenge and that kind of ancient aliens is it's just... It's too new. Yep. People who don't like you, yeah, maybe they could still move big rocks. <laughs> correct. Correct. And, and uh, anyway. It's the and same I... issue I have with like moon, moon landing conspiracies. It's I prefer to live in a world where I think we did that by ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you mean you think we got help? Uh, I don't know. The the ones the ones that I like the best are that we. No, I mean, um, if we went, we I, like, I don't think we got help with the alien with the pyramids. I don't think we faked the moon landings in a basement. I think we actually sent a man to the moon. But it's I'll real read fun the, to think that. <laughs> I will read the book about where we faked in the basement. But yeah, I'm, I, oh, I, totally. I, we prefer I, I, to live in the world where we well, we can do amazing things. It's just, <laughs> I mean, it's nevertheless interesting that we're still getting black and white footage in 2021, you think, well, what are you using <laughs> the same old Hasselbloods? So NASA amongst, you know, the, the kind of fun conspiracy people stands for never a straight answer. And I think, um, and that's certainly in play. So what we can know for certain is that we can't know for certain the official story of the Apollo programs. Um, we know- Well, the I know the official, the real story. It's the Transformers crashed up there. There you go. <laughs> and we went to try and find them. <laughs> See, we, we create our own realities. <laughs> Absolutely. Seems there's two questions in the, uh, in the can there. <laughs> Do you think there's some significance to the engineer they wake up being more Giga-esque versus the ones in the beginning being somewhat more normal? Um, I literally thought it was a, 
like Giga reference. So in that sense, yes. Um, Let's say the armor or whatever is is equipment on him. I think that really pushed that. Well, I think it the it might just be the one we see at the start of the film was there to create life. Get this naked and jump be, in a yeah. Get naked and jump in. This a guy actually seems military in his purpose. Yeah. He's there to launch a bunch of weapons. No, exactly. Um, I, I I think it fits because what's what's so interesting about and and the Middle Earth reference is kind of on point here. What's so interesting about imaginal worlds that are so deep and rich like this, and I think it's what everyone's disappointed about in the Star Wars films, but what, I don't think anyone involved in the first Alien, certainly not Giga when he made that amazing um, big giant dead corpse navigator astronaut and that they walk past in the ship in the first one. I don't think at the time they knew that's what that was. And I, this, this, there's a big amount of Prometheus that's made by people who love Alien, right? Because they're like, okay, well, it actually, what they saw there wasn't its body or anything, or this is actually what the suit is for, which they wouldn't have known at the time. And I think that's just really good because the franchise has gone on for long enough that people who have grown up with it have been able to um, contribute their own to it. And you get really nice stuff then. Like the, the fact that I actually like how it fits with the original film. Like I actually like that even though people got confused, like, well, what spaceship is it then if they're on the thing? I'm like, God, there's more than one spaceship, more than one planet. Um, but just generally speaking, like, oh shit, that was a uniform and that was more than one ship that was like a warship uh all that kind of stuff it just i thought it tied in really nicely yeah maybe people are just too used to absolutely everything in the galaxy happens on tatooine <laughs> yeah exactly exactly talk about like a backwater planet really yeah um you should just fucking move the capital there uh, can you speak a bit about transhumanism and the movie prometheus as a warning or parable concerning that theme shout out to dr farrell's transhumanism book if this is relevant thanks for answering yeah no um so that's what I meant by the Frankenstein stuff, right? Which is uh, we shouldn't be making octoparrots. It doesn't go well. And, and the idea, and that's where a lot of the horror in this is. And it's kind of a move on from the horror of fear of birth, Freudian stuff. It is, it is transhumanist. It's like, well, what makes a human? And this is actually where some of the dialogue around David not being able to create life. And, and also like Waylon with his shit burns going like, I treat him like my son, except he doesn't have a soul. You know, that was, I wouldn't like my father to say that. <laughs> I think there's like a nicer way you can deliver. Like I treat him like my son, but he's a wastebasket. Let's be honest. Uh, he lives so deeply in the uncanny Valley. I mean, that's part of why he's such a fascinating character. I mean, I guess that's more AI than, transhumanism in that case yeah. but they're pretty close cousins so um, well, the people who desired transhumanism in it like Wayland died right and and the whole kind of thing which was because he was hoping they would cure death and that's kind of like a beautiful story of he's a foil um for an idea rather than a character um oh no he's a foil for he wanted a personal survival of death and Elizabeth wanted that kind of understanding or belonging and and the people who kind of went in that venal transhumanist live forever in a physical sense died i mean everyone died but like they they made a big deal out of killing wayland and wayland being killed by his creator and that whole like let's go meet our maker kind of um 
language. So I think that's absolutely in there as a critique and a motif, which is that we shouldn't, it doesn't go well when we make octoparrots or make ourselves octoparrots. I just saw a comment, that's why I've been uh, actually trying to find a good spot for in a few, uh, they mentioned that the original alien was, and I'm probably gonna say it wrong, but based on the attempts to make uh, Alejandro Jordowski's Dune, Dune in the seventies, right? That most of the crew that couldn't, since that film didn't happen, ended up working on Alien. And if you've seen uh, Jordowski's films are just like very shamanistic and uh, yeah. freaky films. So I, I wonder how much of that, uh, again, the, the magical approach that the creation of that thing that never actually happened sort of found its way into Alien and on through the franchise. There's, and, there's a know, post that I've been meaning to write for like 18 months now since I watched Memory, that like Alien documentary that in my territory, I think is on, it's either on Netflix, it's on Netflix, it's not on Prime, but it's on streaming platforms, feature length documentary about that, where I learned that too. And that basically means that the St. John of the Alien franchise is a uh, shaman and, and tarot reader, Hodorowski, um, right? So like it, it's, it actually has its own kind of like um, magical birth, as you say, it, it belongs in that shamanic context. So it's not just that the people who worked on it uh, were competent in those motifs, it owes its existence to the thing that didn't come before it, right? And so, he um, said these people they had hired that ended up making Alien instead, they were his cosmic warriors. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that. It's like, yeah, I want to be a cosmic warrior. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a good point. The other thing is like, Transhumanism in a life extension sense is sort of, I guess, what I meant, because the whole sort of point is we are partially made of engineers anyway. So there is a kind of uh, an extension beyond Frankenstein critique of the idea of nature, really, um, in, in the sense of our inseparability from it, because we're already kind of literally built, we're already, already kind of engineered. But I think in terms of using that capacity in a venal way is, is critiqued in the film. Mm. Yeah, I thought you had something there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I guess we'll see if there's any more other questions coming through. Uh, there's one in the chat there. This is just there's like nine, there's a hundred. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's no, no, no. It's, it's been good. Yeah, I, whenever I do these, I get really jealous. I have FOMO of like being, not being in the chat. <laughs> going, oh, that was a really good point, but I'm flapping my fucking gums. But yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a good way to, I don't know, but the, the can't, they say we cannot multitask thinking. We're just flipping back and forth. So talking while reading and it's kind of an interesting experience. I think it's easier when there's three of us because well, two of us are talking, the other one might have half an eye on it. True. But but this is why you want cyborgs. So you can you can do two things at once. You can well, that's why I kept my riding around on a bicycle and, and shooting hoops. <laughs> In all the transhumanism chat is because I'm on record repeatedly as saying that as soon as the robot limbs are available, I'm first in line. <laughs> I can't wait to be a cyborg. Yeah, but you want a Terminator arm. What if it's like a weird octo arm? I mean, like I could do way more things. evil shit. Yeah, I'm up for that. Okay. <laughs> Swinging around like Venom. Dope. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I would do like the Doc Octo like backpack arms. I think I like yeah, that's that cool too. Yeah. They are neurally connected to him though, right? So we still have the transhumanism. Oh yeah, you're still you're still augmented, that's for sure. And I like this is 
and we're doing this in the course actually, and I've written about it a bunch of times within Starships and uh, whatever, and uh, uh, talks I've given all over the world, is you kind of need to know what technology is. You kind of need to go back to that Greek idea of techne as, as a way of thinking, because the difference between, and, and Kubrick would get this, right? But like the difference between a sharpened stick and a space station, there sort of isn't, like it's just complexity. It's just detail. It's the, the big jump is in the sharpening of the stick, not in the building of the spaceship, because it's that um, extension of um, human agency outside of um, the body we're currently in. So um, I, I, when people talk about transhumanism now, and they mean it in the fourth industrial revolution sense, I am absolutely opposed to it. But that's because I kind of have a bit like, I think a better idea of, of, of techne and, and technology and, and how if you're with it, with sensitivity, that that's in fact the case that like something happened to us that extended us beyond our physical um, capacities. And that, that's the, really where the idea of techne comes from. And it's in Greek myths, it's in Hephaestus and whatever, which is like, there's something weird about the fact that humans make shit. Um, and not just like making habitat, but like making shit. That isn't right. And that, that kind of eeriness is sort of ancient aliens eerie, right? Like, so how, where do we get this from? And that, that is a singular defining question in cosmologies around the world. And I wrote about it in Pieces of Eight, but I love that kind of stuff. Um, I love thinking. Yeah, yeah. I was talking, um, actually, Jim Willis was a guest I was talking to about a month ago, came up with the ideas, is it okay to at some point just say with technology, it's enough? Because we're, especially Western <laughs> society, we're always on like, you know, we, we want to make bigger and better and cooler and sleeker and, uh, you know, we find that it doesn't actually make us that much happier. So the point mm -hmm. me and Matt have reached a few times is there is a, the other big divide in technology is there are some things which on a fundamental level, I understand. Like I couldn't build a car, but I understand that we burn the fuel that makes something spin that makes a gear spin and the car goes forwards. Slow down. Okay. I couldn't tell you how a computer works or how a phone works. Yeah. There's a I point where the people using technology we don't really know what it is anymore. There's a lot of things in this room right now. I don't know how the fuck they work. <laughs> so, and so I think, to me, like, I think uh, that is a big divide. Yeah. Yeah. I th like coming back to um, uh, who do you, what was the name, Matt? Someone you were talking to? Talking about. Oh, that was a uh, Jim Willis. Jim who's Willis. Written okay, right. Some books like Ancient Gods. Interesting. Yeah. So in, permaculture, <laughs> in permaculture, it isn't anti technology, but it is um, appropriate technology. So that's how I sit with it, because as you kind of said, it's not just that none of these things make us any happier. They're also like, we're using these fucking ridiculous rare earth minerals to make fake robot dogs that you're in Japan, that people will queue up around the fucking block to buy and you get a dog. <laughs> <laughs> but also that's demonic. Like that's the, 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 the delight in the artifice. Like I don't think that's appropriate technology, but I don't think it's specifically inappropriate use of rare earths that are causing geopolitical conflicts and, and, and environmental destruction and so on. So yes, I, I think, and I honestly, the, the Greeks kind of got this well, like separating out different modes of thinking so that techne being one of them, you, you think with technology or you think from a place of techne differently than you do other modes of thought. And that is useful, right? Because then you go, okay, so do we, yeah, do we really need 
yeah, do we really need to cut down? How much more soy meal do we need? How much more like disposable devices do we need? Because that's garbage technology. And that, that's kind of there. Like that's a, there's a Frankenstein critique there. There's a Gothic critique, which is that if you keep doing things that don't need to be done, bad things happen. So, yeah. I think oh. you mean bizarro things happen. Exactly. I was about to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I've been looking, I've been spending the last minute looking for a good bizarro inclusion. Yes. Uh, thank you for the C Lab 2021 20, references. Made my hometown of Atlanta. Really? <laughs> really cool. Yeah. Most, a lot of the adult swim stuff is um, uh, around CNN Center, which you think of what you want at CNN, but there's some cool cartoons coming out of there. <laughs> well, I still, um, I still, uh, still use Frank Lloyd Wrong. Um, they, that that show had some good lines. That show had some good lines. Um, did anyone see the cutscene where the engineer answers back when David translates Wayland's question to him? It happened just before he rips David's head off and hits Wayland with it. Um, I did. I found it on YouTube when I wrote that article uh, for the blog years ago, and I have no memory of what. The only thing I remember, I don't remember anything. I don't. I don't even know if we ever understand what the engineer says. But I remember one of the things Wayland says is, look at this, I've created life, I'm a god as well, so I deserve to live forever. And then the engineer, of course, you know, murderizes him, um, which means that this universe doesn't follow the Ghostbusters rule, that if someone asks if you're a god, you always say yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but no, I, I would have cut that line too. Again, yeah. I don't think it's... I, again, I like that we never understand what the engineers are thinking. Yes. So I appreciate they cut the scene of yeah, him replying. I, I would have, yeah. I don't think he should have replied. And I think yeah. the film is better with him not replying. Absolutely. I very much appreciate watching this time around when um, when the cryo opens and just putting yourself in that position. I mean, from the engineer perspective, it's like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. What are these weird little skinny guys who've just showed up? <laughs> I don't know how to make you live forever. You're just something we dropped in a pool 50,000 years ago. <laughs> yeah. So I have chickens down here. And if, if they came in and asked me, if woke me up and asked me a favor, but no, no, your head's coming off. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, you'd whack yeah. the chicken out of your face, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would love to be friends with a talking chicken. <laughs> Look, yeah, um, trans chickenism, I'm okay with. Like augmenting chickens is fine, but yeah. Robot chicken, we're stuck in the adults one again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there it is. All right. Well, um, anything else we want to? Anything else we want? Anything else we need to say? Do you think about Prometheus? No, nope, I think we've given the final word on Prometheus, <laughs> and the discussion is over forever. <laughs> <laughs> Never again will there be a Prometheus podcast. <laughs> Awesome. Well, the chat has been absolutely on fire as well. So um, thanks very much for everyone who uh, who participated and thanks for the questions. And yeah, this is this is always fun. Um, I guess who plugs we... first? Because who's guesting on whose show? Yeah, I'm sitting here <laughs> thinking about that. <laughs> like, like I'm going to have this video for the members, so it's not really public content. So it's officially your show. So okay. Well, so tell the people who listen to our show what's up, I guess. Yeah. How can they be a premium member? <laughs> lay, lay it on them. Where, they, where can they find your stuff? What's going on? 
Okay, 18 seconds. Okay, you can find this podcast on Twitter at MLSFSPod. We're also on Facebook, YouTube, Apple Podcasts. Anywhere where you can find podcasts, just search Matt and Luke Sci-Fi Sanctuary. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, you want to hear other podcasts that we make, you can go to patreon.com slash podcastio podcastios. That would give you links to Matt's other podcast, my Pokemon podcast, my Monster Hunter podcast. And if you want to, if you heard the music in this podcast, you want to hear more of Matt's music, go to raving, ravingsagemedia.bandcamp.com. Raving Sage Media. That's why that's I even, yeah, it's Raving yeah. Sage. <laughs> Maybe next time. Yeah. <laughs> and um, awesome. Gordon, you have a few listeners, I guess, on our end at least that uh, maybe could get into your your sure. groove. Sure, runesoup.com. That's where you'll find everything. Um, that's where the show is. That's if you want to become a member. That's where that is. Uh, yeah, it's all pretty streamlined at the moment. Uh, not much in the way of the socials. So, oh, there's a Telegram group for Runesoup, but. Um, all the main stuff is, uh, well, everything is at runesoup.com. No, we, we were able to get in contact with you, so it's possible. <laughs> okay. Nice one. All right, good chat. Yep, I'm going to take a shower and then go to work. So. <laughs> <laughs> Don't Thanks, guys. Don't in the shower. I can't make any promises. <laughs> okay, see ya. See ya. Okay. Godzilla. Godzilla versus Kong.